Firefighter podcast, where we listen into a group of rural firefighters as they give their opinions on the challenges they face both on and off the fireground. We release a new episode every week, so please hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this with your fire family and friends. Now on to this week's episode, where as always, we ask the question, are you DTFF? Hello and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. My name is Carl and tonight I am joined by two members of my firefighting family. I have Ash. Hey Carl. And I have Toddley. Hello. <laughs> and uh, we have no Scott. Scott is gone. There is no Scott. Yeah. There is no Spoon. I got Scott seat. It's pretty yeah. comfy over here in this corner actually. <laughs> right? Bad. We, uh, Scott's going to be away for a few weeks, but um, he is going to be back in time for the road trip to Ash. Yeah, so um, the end of the month, uh, a couple of us are heading down to uh, see Jocko live. Uh, he's promoting his new book. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to make a road trip to Seattle. Uh, we're going to try to spend a couple of days down there checking out the city. Uh, we want to... Uh, uh, look into some rescue tools while we're down there. I think that's going to be yeah. super sweet if we can get that lined up. So uh, we're going to look into that. And uh, yeah, so if any of uh, you guys are out there and listening and are also attending, uh, reach out. Say what's up. Say where you are. And uh, like Scott says, if you're not weird, we'll uh, probably <laughs> give you prob- probably give out some free shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you guys will have some uh, some t-shirts and some coins mm-hmm. and bits and pieces. So again, if you are around and you're in the area and you are there, check out the boys. Um, they'll be easy to find. One of them will be wearing a DTFF shirt, I am yeah, sure. At least, if yeah. not all of them. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll be pretty easy to spot. Drop us a message on the on the Facebook page as well because they'll be able to pick that up too and be able to say hello. Maybe grab some merch. Hey, bet. Thanks, Danny. Tonight's episode is an interview. With mm-hmm. a gentleman called Sam. Sam is uh, originally from Australia. Grew up in the uh, in the fire service. His father was a captain. Uh, moved to Canada. Is now living in Alberta and uh, is a volunteer firefighter on a neighbouring municipality for uh, for where he lives. So uh, he's got some good insight. He's got some great insight into how they do things in Australia with the fires going on there. It was something that definitely fit with what we were looking to talk about and. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he was a great, great, great guest. It was good. So, mm. without further ado, let's roll straight on into that. Mm. So, guys, today we have a special guest. Um, we have a gentleman from a neighbouring department in a uh, a different province. Um, been listening for quite a while, and uh, we've been chatting back and forth for I don't know for quite a few months now. I think quite a while actually. Um, yeah, so without further ado, Sam, how you doing there, Chip? <laughs> Not too bad, Carl. How you guys doing out there? Yeah, good, mate, good. It's been uh, fairly quiet for us, although the silence was broken the other week with a structure fire, um, which was fun. But yeah, what about you? Ah, uh, we've been incredibly quiet uh, over the mountains here. Um, I think last Christmas we had three calls uh Christmas Eve into Christmas Day morning, and this year we haven't had a call for coming up four weeks. Uh, you know, a real one that wasn't you know alarm reset or or uh, something like that. An actual an actual frontline call. So yeah, it's been 
bit odd. Everyone's kind of on tenderfoot now. It's kind of the feel like it's the calm before the storm, but uh, that's how she goes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been we've had the same thing. I don't know what it is. Normally, we get a lot of MVIs and stuff this time of year, but and the weather yeah, hasn't really been, changed yet. No snow. No, we're but, the only place in the province with no snow. Yeah, a little bubble of seven degrees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really nice to say. It was like nine degrees on Saturday. Uh, so Sam, give us a little rundown of uh, of you, mate. Give us a bit of your history and uh, a bit of your uh, your current, and and tell us how you got into the game. Um, well, into the game is probably a question of your definition. I've been around around firefighting basically my entire life. Um, my dad was a, a captain at a at a training or a firefighter to start with, and then moved into a captain's role um, at a big. Um, what would you call it, like a statewide or a province-wide training facility in Australia. Um, and I was there every weekend helping out, um, changing BA cylinders and helping out with uh, scenarios and acting as a victim or a casualty and MVI scenarios and um, smokehouses and stuff like that. Uh, that's basically what I did for my childhood. Um, then uh, when I moved from, that was in Australia, and then I, when I moved to, uh, Canada when I got married um, I actually started out with or still am with um, volunteer search and rescue and then I took a new job um, in a in a uh, with a municipality and it kind of made sense um, to, to get on with the fire department there I was in the municipality all day every day and kind of um, got to know some of the firefighters through my job and they kind of said no why don't you join the department? You got kind of the, the right skill set for what we're looking for. So I've been uh, I've been with my current department um, for about the last eighteen months. But uh, firefighting's probably in the blood, as they say. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, so I know I know it sounds like to me you've already kind of answered one of the questions that I always like to ask is why you joined, and it sounds like like you said it was just it's in the blood family history and you carried it with you and you're just continuing on to yeah there's certainly a big chunk of that in it Carl um there's um something to you know I've lived I've lived where I live for uh about 13 years um since I've basically since I moved to Canada um but um where I live and where I work is kind of not where where I worked it's not where the fire department is I'm covered by a full-time career department where I am but now where I work in the opposite direction is volunteer. So I'm uh, now I'm kind of I'm there all day, every day in a volu- in an area that's covered by a volunteer department and it kind of it all rolls in together. I kind of felt, you know, I'm here all day, every day. I should be on the fire department helping out where I can. Yeah, that's awesome. It's fantastic. Again, we're always talking about, you know, the more people want to put their hand up and get involved with this kind of thing, the, the better. And uh, for somebody like yourself to... to uh, be able to get back involved and bring the skills from the previous is is yeah. you know a major asset to towns like that for sure. Yeah. So we had we had talked briefly. In fact, you had reached out to us after one of our uh, I think it was our green light episode that we had discussed the green lights that we do not have and still do not have, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Todd's working on it, right, Todd? <laughs> <laughs> Got to yeah. get up some uh, some provincial people for that. That's it true. sounds like yeah. that's true. But um, so you guys have got them then in the municipality you're in we do yeah and uh it seems it's very much uh 
from what I what I've understood, and it's not it's not everywhere across our province. Uh, the province, as a as a kind of an administrative function, green lighted any municipality that wanted to do it. All they had to do was basically pass a bylaw with their municipal with the municipal government to allow their volunteer firefighters to use green lights. And I think the one that my municipality, um, the bylaw that they passed, it's literally like two lines, like a volunteer firefighter may at the discretion of the fire chief place a, a green lamp on his personal vehicle to respond to calls. Now, um, the green lights, I think, I think you guys talked about it a little bit in that episode. Um, they don't allow us, we put them in our personal vehicles because we respond from our house or wherever we are directly to the scene dispatch. We call into dispatch and say we're responding in our personal vehicle. We flick on the green light and we go. It doesn't give us any, um, I don't know what you call like special powers, like, uh, like, <laughs> like yeah. lights on the trucks do. We can't break the speed limit, we can't go through stop signs, we can't go through truck lights, anything like that. Um, we actually define them as courtesy lights. Yeah. So... When you're driving through town, if you've got your green light on, you come up to a, a four-way stop, but you're not the first one to stop. You know, often a resident or uh, you know another another car will wave you through. Same with a yield sign, they'll wave you through. Uh, the big one for me, I respond along the provincial highway from where I live to where where the fire station is and where a lot of the calls are. Um, is people just pull over onto the side of the road when they see the green light coming? Because a lot of the times it's because they don't know what it is. Because if you're not from a <laughs> municipality that runs them, there's not a big public education campaign going on. So people just see the green light come up behind them and they just pull off the road, um, which is also helpful as long as they're not doing crazy stuff. But it's no different than uh, coming up behind people with the truck with the lights on and them not knowing what to do either. I think that's uh, that's really good to hear. We spoke about it back on our episode about mm-hmm. what the real world effects would be and what the public, like how they would respond. So hearing that, uh, you know, you do get that courtesy and calling them a courtesy light's great because um, you're not going to be breaking the laws. You're not running red lights. You're not speeding. But you are saving seconds at that four-way when the rest of the traffic waves you through. If you're out on, yeah. on the highway yeah. or the freeway, <clears throat> they are pulling over. And even like, like you say, if it is a... Uh, a knowledge thing where they're not educated maybe but at least it's a flashing light people do pull over it's just the courtesy anytime you see a light you're supposed to pull over so you know giving yeah. that uh, courtesy yeah. to uh give give room for the responders it's great yeah Absolutely. and that's 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 um, probably the big one the real big one for me like i said on the highway but also coming up on you know we get a call for an mvi on the highway um and there's already a bunch of cars pulled over and they're kind of all everywhere all over the place and you come up with your green light they kind of move out the way they let you get right up to the scene where you need to be mm. we're not kind of having to to fight our way around traffic uh, or other stopped cars and vehicles on the road um, we get waved through same as if traffic controls already been set up we got some we've only got one tow company in the area and they we're really we work really closely with them um, but if it's close to town they'll often have traffic controls set up right away like they'll get one of their traffic control vehicles out there and we come up with the green light and they just lift the barrier and let us right through into the scene and then put their barriers back down there's no you don't have to stop and wind down your window you don't have to go through any of that local icmp the same they see the green light coming up they'll make room for us to get through nice and easy. just uh, especially especially at night when they can when you can see it coming 
uh, we've seen the green light coming. Um, it makes a big difference. It also helps us identify each other as well. When you're driving down range roads looking for an address in the dark in the middle of winter and you can see another green, you know, see two green lights go down a driveway, you already know where you need to be going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, we were speaking a little bit before we started to record. And again, now just saying, so you guys go direct to yeah. the scene with your personal vehicle. So what do you all carry on that? Um, that's kind of up to us. Obviously, we need to have our we have our bunker gear with us. So we have the big big red firefighter bags. We all get issued one of those. We have our bunker gear in there. Um, usually, you don't like to move it around because weighs a ton. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because mm-hmm. uh, during summer, you have all your wildland gear in there as well. So you're carrying your bunker gear and your wildland gear. Um, what do I I have? So I actually took it all out of there. I have a huge big. Um, it was actually a like a big DeWalt tool chest because it's got a rubber gasket seal on the top of it. So if your gear does get a bit stinky or smoky or whatever, um, I can put it in there and seal it up tight. Um, but I've also got two two ten pound fire extinguishers in there. I've got some basic kind of extrication tool stuff in there. Nice. Um, you know, some rope and some webbing, some carabiners. Um, I've got my my leather firefighting boots, my structural boots, a pair of like rubber firefighting boots. Um, Sounds like Scott's trunk. Do you guys carry any sort of yeah. medical gear? Or like you said, that's that's up to the individual. Um, most of us, I think, probably we carry. I, I've got a fairly comprehensive um, bag. I kind of it depends a little bit on your level of training, I guess, or yeah. how comfortable you are administering first aid on on scene. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we all have, you know, a pocket mask and gloves and probably a basic first aid kit in there. Um, I've got a bit a bit more than a basic first aid kit in mine. Um, I know one of our guys is a paramedic um, on an ambulance as his, his career career job. Um, and he's also got a he's got a full paramedic jump kit in his car as well that he has with him all the time. Which Thanks. would which would be on scene if he responded as well. Now uh, where I'm going with that is um, like you mentioned earlier, when you guys, if you leave your residence or wherever you are and you're responding, uh, you notify dispatch and tell them you're responding in your vehicle? Yes. Yeah. So we all have radios issued to us um, and uh, we use I'm responding. I think the same as you guys mm-hmm. use yeah. that. Um, so we get the call. If you've got your radio on, it comes through a little bit quicker than on the I am responding, or you can just wait for your phone to go off and then switch your radio on if you're saving batteries. Um, yeah. So as soon as as soon as the calls kind of confirm, so one of our officers, when the call comes through on the radio, one of the officers will kind of contact dispatch and get a get an update. Everyone will hear it and kind of you know learn learn where it is and what it is, um, and then guys that are going to respond in their own vehicle will call in and say firefighter, whatever your number is. Um, responding in personal vehicle, and they'll mark us down on their on dispatch will mark us down as responding in our personal vehicles. Nice, yeah, that's good. It's pretty important. Like I know here we've got a lot of work safe rules for uh, working alone and responding alone and things yeah. like that. Um, so that's good to hear that you guys have a login system like that with mm-hmm. your dispatch and and even just, yeah, it's good as long as long as you got radio communications, it works great. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, yeah. No, that's good to hear that you guys carry a lot of gear like that because. I know, like Dr. Nick Sparrow, mm-hmm. he's a big advocate of, you know, changing how your department thinks as, as far as responding to certain things. Prime example, cardiac arrest, you know, like, you know, maybe it's going to be more beneficial for your fire fire department if the ambulance is delayed and we get sent on it, um, you know, instead of 
responding to the hall and getting in the truck? Is there one or two people that are closer and they have a kit or an AD, you know? So it it's kind of ties into the, his uh, vision yeah. of how things That's absolutely, change. and that's one of the reasons they've allowed uh, um, responding in personal vehicles for, for us is uh, we're right on a provincial highway uh, going east-west uh, across the province, and uh, there's basically a, a CN railway line fairly major railway line that, that parallels the highway all mm-hmm. the way and all of the towns are on the north side over the tracks from the, the highway um, and so the guys responding from the hall with the trucks and the ambulances because the ambulance station's in the town as well um, they have to cross the railway tracks to get out to the highway um, and I don't, even at the time I've been on there's been numerous times um, they'll say engine leaving hall and then a minute later they're at the railway track waiting for a train for four minutes right mm-hmm. yeah. huge delay um, yeah. and you know you'll have two fire trucks and two ambulances sitting there waiting um, and I live on I live between the railway tracks and the highway so I can get onto the highway and there's two others including one of the paramedics that's on our department who also can get onto the highway without having to cross the railway tracks mm-hmm. so yeah we've We've been first on scene. We were first on scene for a cardiac arrest, um, the three of us, because the ambulance, they were all delayed by a train. They were, um, they were well, at least five minutes behind us uh, to get there. Very cool. So yeah. it, it, gives, it, gives that, it gives that option. You're not going to get everybody being tied up by one incident, even if it was, uh, you know, something else, something else minor. The farmer got his combine harvester stuck on the range road you're not getting everyone piled up behind him. Um, we've got people coming from all directions to get to the one scene. Makes sense. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, Todd, you probably deal with a little bit of that, just kind of on the other side of the bridge near you, right? Because your towns, especially in summer. We do, yeah. Yeah, we've got, we face a lot of that. So our, our town, we've got two halls because uh, our town's kind of split by a bridge as well and it's uh, traffic slows to a crawl in the summertime and it'll take us right. a long time to respond to our main hall. So, we actually have as part of our town emergency plan that's how we got that second hall and we've got uh, a truck or two trucks there an engine and a tender right. and it works out fairly well for us because we have it's kind of half and half of our members um i mean it always changes but half live on that one side so we're able to respond and fill that hall fairly quickly rather than driving for 10 minutes through traffic through town to get to yeah. the hall. And it becomes important, especially during winter on the highway, you know, when we can have a couple of calls going on at the same time uh, during a snowstorm or whatever, and we've got the highway shut down in one direction, and then all of a sudden we get a call on the other side of where it's been shut down. Um, at least we can get some guys there to uh, to deal with it, even if a truck's going to be delayed because it has to go, you know, a few miles out of its way to get around. Um, and that's happened. That's happened uh, in instances as well. So how do you organize between yourselves? So say there's two calls that come in um, and you're all responding direct to initial scene and then another one comes in afterwards. How do you then split up the resources during that? Um, yeah, that's a good question. It's a little, it's a little bit um, what, what resources need, what, what incident needs what resources. Um, and the same as anything, we've got... And it, it's actually probably changed recently because we took delivery of uh, a new fire truck um, nice. at the be- in the spring, last spring, spring of 2019. Um, and we combined a pump and a rescue. They were two separate vehicles, and now we've combined them into one big truck. 
so that's kind of you know if it was a road crash obviously the rescue would go and we'd kind of leave leave we've got two pumps and a re- we had two pumps and a rescue now we've got a rescue pump combo and a, a straight pump um so we try and if we just need a pump if we're at a whatever a, a grass fire or whatever and we've got the the bush trucks out um and we'll leave a pump we'll leave a pump there and we'll try and keep the big combo unit free if we can um to respond to to all other other calls so as soon as we can free that that combo unit up we do we send it back um and we'll leave other resources at a scene um and it, it carries i think we can fit eight, i think we can fit eight firefighters in that thing um oh, if we use the, the jump seats and whatever in there um so yeah captain and uh captain and operator and then two rear facing and four forward facing in the back oh, okay. mm-hmm. um so um we can move a bit of crew around with it as well so you can you know put eight firefighters in there and go to another call if you if you've been freed up uh, and for that reason we've got even on one of our brush trucks we've got a little set of extrication tools with a little a little power pack for them um so if we end up needing you know two two um two mbis uh, that are not close to each other uh, we can send we can send a brush the little the brush truck over there with some extrication tools um until we can free up the big rescue to get over there that's uh that's a big truck eight seater mm-hmm. yeah. just trying to yeah, yeah. like the, the mm-hmm. two oh. forward facing <laughs> what kind of truck is it sorry i don't know if i missed um that. it's a pierce, pierce? dash mm-hmm. cf it's a uh, custom cab yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Nice. So, like, uh, one of the like the which the boys the barbels. Oh yeah. Yeah, they're, they're pretty heavy on there. Pierce. Yeah. 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 I'll be happy to hear that. Nick will be wet in his pants right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, one of the one of the other things we always try and talk about as well is, you know, when when you've been doing this for um, for a long time and you you're still trying to stay fully active, but they start you sometimes you get that feeling that burnout feeling. And I'm just wondering, and we always try and talk about it, is what do you do to, what what motivates you to answer the call? When that pager goes off, what still forces you to get up out of bed and drive drive the scene and, and get there and do your thing? Uh, that's that's a good one, Carl. Um, it's, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sound, um, uh, what you say, like, uh, prissy or stuck up or kind of, um, self-important, but it, I think when you when you start doing something like this, like a, a volunteer emergency response, when you're not doing it for a paycheck, um, I think it has to be something that something that's deep inside you. Like it's not. I think you know. I, I you know I've only been on this department for a little while, but we've even had new groups since I started who have kind of come, kind of realized what it's all about and and left again. And the same the same with them. With search and rescue, which I've done as well, um, I think it, you know there's you know there's helping out your community and um, there's and uh, a, a sense of service or a sense of duty or giving back. There's all of those kind of things, but I think all of those you know kind of ball together and they become something that you you kind of either have or you don't. And it's not it's not your ability. We can train you, but you have to have it within within you to get up at 3 a.m. Uh, during a snowstorm and go to an MVI, not knowing what you're going to come across when you get there. That's something that you, I, I'm not sure 
you can learn that. I think you have to be willing to do it before you even, you know, sign on. Absolutely. I totally agree. In my career as well, there's been lots of people I've seen um, become a paramedic, striving to be full-time. And yeah. once they got into it, they quickly realized this isn't for me. And they quit, yeah. uh, moved on. And same with the fire service. We get lots of people that uh, get hired on at our volunteer hall. And uh, they try it for a while and they realize, man, this is this is not not my jam. Mm-hmm. For whatever yeah. the reason, it's not their fault. Yeah. It's uh, Like you said, I, I do believe as well it's a, it's a certain type of individual. Yeah. And I think being a volunteer, like that kind of... Uh, magnifies all of that impact. Like you can't just, oh, yeah. you're not just going to stick it out for a paycheck because there is no paycheck. <laughs> you, <laughs> either, you either want to do it or you don't. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, cold meals and taken off on kids' birthdays. You bet. And you bet. You bet. <clears throat> so, um, Sam, we had, uh, you, you mentioned that you've been at your hall for a, a shorter period of time now uh, since mm-hmm. you started. And I'm just wondering what your rookie training program looks like. Do you have something in your hall? Like, how have you found the initial kind of introduction into into the hall and the kind of, you know, the basic skills of what you're going to be doing on scene? Uh, how has that worked out for you? Um, I, I'll say, and I'm not going to throw my department under the bus, but your program there uh, in your department sounds somewhat more uh, robust or developed than than what we have. Um, I hear, hear Scott talking about the way your training division works. Uh, and I think our departments are fairly similar size, just listening to the podcast. Um, we do, ours is very, ours is very much hands-on. Um, and it might be, so we don't have a high turnover. And it doesn't sound like you guys do either. Um, but when we come on, there's usually like one or two new guys. Like when I started, Another guy started about two weeks after me, and then we haven't really had any any more turnover. We're we're fully staffed. We've got a full full contingent. Um, we haven't had, really had any to- turnover since then. So to kind of set up and run a full training, like a training division, and um, set up you know uh, basic training for rookies for for two guys, um, I I don't want to say it's pointless, but. You know, if, if we're going to go you know, another couple of years before we've got to go for a re- recruit training um, scenario again, um, it doesn't seem kind of like time well spent. That being said, um, there's always things that could be learned. So right off the bat, we learned SCBA, um, SCBA basics. We did like full truck orientations, um, you know, what to do on scene. Uh, and a lot of it was to do with MVIs. We do a lot of MVIs, same as you guys. Um, and then for, for me, actually, my first, we do, so we'd have a, um, you basically got to come to 26, 26 trainings. Um, so six, six months, basically. Uh, and then once you do that, you get um, a pager or you get linked onto I am responding, but you have to go to the hall. You can't respond to scene. Um, and so then you have, you go and you get on a truck. And so I got my, my very first, I got signed on to I am responding, uh, later that week, the first call came in and it was for a structure fire right in town. And, um, I thought, right, I'm going to this. It was about 11 o'clock at night. I drove in, pulled around the corner to go to the fire station. And it was the house immediately behind the fire station. Oh. It was on fire. <laughs> 
And I just pulled in before the fire station was on fire and said, well, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't covered in training. What do you do when the fire station catches on fire? But as I got closer, I realized it was the... And I actually thought I'd probably just be, you know, shadowing an officer for that. And uh, as soon as I walked up, the, our training officer was there already. And he said, grab a pike pole, we're taking out these windows. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, right into the thick of it. Um, and that was... That was that was I, I basically shadowed him, but yeah, I was on a nozzle, nozzle, nozzle right away, and pulling garage doors off with the the winch on the rescue truck, and had a chainsaw for a while. And, yeah, it was just right, right into it, right off the bat. And I think that probably, you know, I, I'd spoken quite a bit with the with the, the our training instructor, uh, our training officer before, and kind of getting to know him over those twenty six weeks, and he kind of had a bit of an idea of my background that I wasn't coming in completely green. I had a pretty good idea of how firefighting worked. And I think that's probably something that needs to, is, is what happens with, with volunteers as well. You might get a guy who's, you know, 20 years with another department come in who, you know, he could, you know, in all reality, jump right on, right into a structure fire, no problem, pumps, you know, pumps that kind of work the same, nozzles work the same, uh, BA works the same, you know. Uh, and then you might have someone who's, you know, never been inside a fire hall in their entire life and just you know green as grass coming in as well so um it's good the way your program works there it covers all the bases um ours ours works well as long as it's it's very much a relation a relationship thing getting to know what a person's capable of uh as they as they progress through nice yeah it's we've we've taken we (laughs) We as a group, I guess, mm-hmm. but it's taken a long time to get that training program in effect. A long, long time. And a lot of yeah. push from all different sides and multiple different pieces of input. And, you know, it's it's taken a long time. So, yeah, it, it's very different than we do notice than for some of the other, other departments. But it's yeah. another reason why we try and talk about it a little, just to try and kind of show what you can do if... Absolutely. You've got everybody having your dedicated training ground there with the the sea cans, um, I think that makes that makes a big difference. You can set up to run everybody through the same kind of set of scenarios, so everybody's on the same page about how a flashover works and how venting works and all of that kind of stuff. You're kind of doing the same thing over and over again, and you've got that repeatability and consistency to your training whereas you know for training for structure fires I mentioned to you guys we quite often get old farmhouses that we're allowed to burn down and everyone's different how they burn how old they are how dry the wood is whether the roof's still intact which is a is really great training still because every structure fire is different um, but also there's no consistency to it either like everyone's different so for training purposes sometimes they're really good sometimes they're really bad That'd be fun if we started getting buildings mm-hmm. the brand day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it is, it is, it is. And we, just like your uh, the trailer you guys had there, you know, we make them, we make them last. We we make them earn their burn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I had some fun in that one for at least a couple of weeks. Four yeah, weeks? we had a couple. Yeah, it was three three good rotations of practice, and then one final one, which was good. But uh, yeah, we we definitely that thing earned its last it's last (laughs) (laughs) base has been made yeah did you have something yeah i was gonna go back so you guys have think we kind of carry about on average about 30 firefighters give or take um we have one 
designated training officer and then we have our training department where we have a couple of we have a handful of us that that get involved there as well um what does your department do for that do, do the officers get involved or is there a training group that gets involved or uh, just kind of curious who, who helps set up uh training on your end and uh kind of what does that look like uh yeah so our our second uh, so we have a chief, deputy chief, and then two assistant chiefs, first assistant chief, second assistant chief. Um, and our second assistant chief is dead. First assistant chief is, uh, what's his, like he's like a uh, fire prevention officer. Mm-hmm. Second assistant chief is a training officer. Uh, he does the bulk of the setting up of scenarios and organizing the training and all of that. He's the one who'll get up on, uh, in, you know, before in front of everybody at a practice and, this is what we're doing tonight, guys. Um, and then we also have a captain uh, who is kind of the, the other training officer. So ours is basically the two of them. Uh, and so if we if we break off into kind of you know newer guys and more seasoned guys for for something for a scenario, um, it will be usually one one will take one group and one will take the other group. Um, and often often. The other senior firefighters will get pulled in as well. Um, the other officers will get pulled in to kind of act, act in training roles um, as well. But I, I think having a dedicated, you know, probably more than two guys dedicated to training, um, it, there's definitely some benefit to that. Um, if nothing else, just getting you know more perspective on on things that uh, things that it could be benefit could be beneficial. Um, there can be a tendency to get a little bit narrow-sided and focused on the things that you always do um you know a, a, a rotation of scenarios so to speak mm-hmm. uh and maybe kind of remembering to, to think outside the box and i'm not saying that i'm not saying that we do that or we don't do that um but i kind of see see the same scenarios pop up uh with with other with other departments um that we do uh and then every now and again you'll see something new and go oh that we we should we should train that and then that'll come into the rotation as well and then maybe it'll stagnate for a while until someone says oh we should do this or um the way most training happens is something happens on a scene and say hey we really should figure that out figure out what went wrong and fix it and then practice it mm-hmm. that um, and i think yeah. kind of the more eyes putting that together or the more input putting those kind of things together um the better off your department's going to be yeah solid mm-hmm. So the, uh, I guess the other big one that we always like to ask our guests is, uh, what was your most, or what has been your most memorable call so far? It can be positive. It can be something that's lasted with you from a positive experience, or it can be again, you know, the, the, the dreaded, you turned up to something that you didn't necessarily need to or want to see. So whatever you want to go, whatever direction you'd like to take there, Sam. So yeah, this one. This one, um, I'll probably, it's kind of a little bit of a, a, a both, a one you didn't want to see that turned out not the way you expected. Um, and this was actually the one that I described earlier where it was a cardiac arrest uh, where the ambulance and the truck were delayed. Um, the gentleman had actually passed away sometime before we got there um, and his wife had come home and found him and called 911 <clears throat> um, and we responded to scene uh, we did everything we could the ambulance got there but 
no, it was, was too late for this gentleman, unfortunately. Um, but the interesting thing was um, about six months later, I was at a group camping event and, with my family and a bunch of other families and a friend of a friend bought a friend and it happened to be this gentleman's wife and we were sitting around the table and I recognized her immediately I knew exactly I knew who she was and uh, she went around her friend went around and introduced her to everybody and she looked at me and said I think I know you from somewhere kind of that dreaded seeing them in the supermarket lineup type scenario <laughs> yeah and i happened to be sitting next to my wife at the time and uh i said oh yeah hi my name's sam and obviously just being a firefighter i was nameless so she didn't know who i was she said do you live do you live near near the town where i volunteer and i said oh yeah not too far away and she said oh you look really familiar and then my wife says, oh, he's on the fire department. <laughs> right. And she says, did you come to when my husband died? And I said, yes, I was one of the first ones there through the door. And so my wife, I think initially she kind of felt very sorry for her, but now they've struck up a friendship. And, um, yeah, they were just here on New Year's Day for a skating party. She's got a little two-year-old, and my kids love playing with her. And, um, yeah, we see her on quite a regular basis. It's still... A little bit strange for me, the kind of the, the friendship started that way. Um, but it's also, you know, um, same kind of giving back. My wife kind of wanted to, to help her out because she'd lost her husband. And um, we've, you know, taken meals over and helped out with some babysitting here and there. And kind of a, an odd way for things to go. And I was kind of a little bit worried about kind of, policies and protocols regarding that kind of thing and i was like this is a small community everybody has to work together and if this is the way it's going to work it's the way it's going to work um it's not uh i don't i don't see there being being uh any real issues issues with it it's just a friendship that was struck up and it was under kind of stressful circumstances and it's worked out good for everybody mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. <clears throat> i don't think uh in smaller communities that stuff is it just is what it is right like everyone yeah, can't get away from it no everyone knows everyone you know everyone yeah. knows everyone in the two towns that are side by side it and the four that are next to that in small places yeah right? like, exactly yeah you know it's one of those things yeah. and that's really good it's again i'm sure she really appreciated the support and you know knowing yeah. it's uh knowing that you were the guy through the door trying to help you know it's always yeah. it's always the nice thing to feel yeah yeah so uh when it comes to, I'm going to dart back and forth a little bit here, just because yeah, sure. we got that there with the fire training stuff. So <clears throat> with training, um, we all tend to have kind of our own little favorite thing that we feel like we're really good at. So for example, uh, mine is not pumps. Uh, <laughs> but uh, everyone has kind of a, a skill that they really enjoy or they feel like they're good at uh, or they excel at. What do you think yours is, Sam? <laughs> That's an easy one, Carl. Um, I'm a knots and ropes guy from way, way back. There you go. So I, was in the, guy, I, was yeah. a, I was in the Boy Scouts for a very long time, and my dad being what he was as a fire captain, that was instilled into me from a very young age. Ropes, ropes, ropes. Scott would have yep. loved this conversation from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Matt when you need him? Yep. Matt will talk ropes yeah, with I'd you for hours. <laughs> 
yeah, that was I think one of the first one of the first trainings I came to, just uh, you know, my second or third week at the hall um, was uh, it wasn't actually a knots and ropes drill, but it involved tying tools onto ropes, and the training officer was kind of going over it with me and the other guy that had just started I think that was his first week and I was in about my third week and he was like this is a this is a clove hitch and this is a and then I had it tied before I'd even finished saying the end of the sentence <laughs> onto a pike pole and he was like oh you obviously know what you're doing can you do a bowline and it's yeah same thing before it was even out of his mouth and had it tied around the handle of the chainsaw <laughs> and he was like oh okay well I don't have to worry about you with that and then there's guys that have been there 20 years and still can't tie a bowline so I was already into yeah, yeah, I'm one of them Todd's the <laughs> putting his hand up over <laughs> yeah. where's that diagram yeah, just... <laughs> my strength in yeah. ropes is knowing people with a strength in ropes exactly. <laughs> that's right that's exactly that's exactly well, that's firefighting that's everything that's yeah, that's working as a team so, you know there's always someone that can do it we got you know guys same as you guys with Spence like we got I think we got two mechanics like if something something's going wrong with a truck or a pump like don't mess around just get one of them like um, same same we got you know heavy equipment operators and and stuff like that on the department we got you know like I said two paramedics like if, if we're getting into medical if one of them's there don't don't guess like we've got that's part about volunteer you know, got the resources. There's always someone that can yeah. that, that knows. There's you know, thirty guys with a thirty plus guys with a really varied background and experience. You're going to find someone that's got a good idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. Having that, <clears throat> we discussed that before as well. With that, the volunteer service is a service built up off of a lot of blue collar workers, just people yeah. in all different industries. Everybody has a past which they bring with them and skill sets that they've learned over that time it's not like they just went straight into being a firefighter and that's all they do that diversity always helps and it what mm-hmm. it is what i believe for sure is one of the the factors as to why volunteer departments can do so well uh on their own because they've got all of these free thinkers that aren't just okay i have to think like a firefighter it's the okay I have to think like a person as well as a firefighter mm-hmm. and what other skills do I have that I can bring to this scenario to fix this problem? And it, it works. It works way. We have works great for us and for the neighboring departments that we see do it. You bet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Diversity. Yeah. Yeah. And you even see, you know, in recruitment for, for city departments, for career departments, they're they're always looking for guys with well, a, a varied background. You don't want everyone with the, coming in with the same background, but you know, guys with with trades behind them, or farmers with you know a bit of mechanical knowledge, or heavy equipment operators. When you when you find out what they did before they were a career firefighter, they're they're the same. They're blue collar. They're blue collar guys by and large. Um, I'd say even it's just it's, that's what. Uh, that's what the skill set is that, that you need to do the job, whether you're getting paid or not. It's, it's what the job entails. Yeah, couldn't agree mm-hmm. more. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. quick question uh, here. Oh, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead if, if you got something to add. Um, I, you guys have been talking about the, the fires in Australia a little bit um, over the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I listened to your episode with, with Marshall, and I've, you guys have been getting regular updates from him um i thought given that i grew up in australia i thought i could maybe offer a little bit of a uh connection 
between the way it works here across most of North America, but Canada, and uh, the way it works in this firefighting, volunteer firefighting works in Australia. Um, I, I was listening to Marshall, and everything he said was exactly exactly right. But um, the way the way it's administered is a little bit different there, which I don't think quite came across in what Marshall was saying, and he probably didn't realize that it was as different there as it is here um, and a lot of it is administrative but it come it does trickle down to to frontline um, in Australia um, the states which are you know like provinces uh, in Canada or states in the US um, they administer it at a, at a, a state or provincial level there so municipalities um, have a lot less control over their fire departments well almost almost down to, to none it's basically they were divided into regions um, which can cover probably what would be the equivalent of uh, maybe three or four counties in Canada or the states um, but it's actually everything comes down from from the state level all the funding comes from the state level um, which has big advantages and big disadvantages as well when you're talking the, the scale of the wildfires that they've got going on right there having it administered at a at a state level makes a huge difference to be able to get resources and strike teams um kind of out of counties across county lines and move things around very easily um it also means that all the equipment's basically the same from department to department to department um so you can you can jump you know all the all the all the pumps are basically the same, and the way that they're they're numbered, their their call signs um, indicate exactly what kind of piece of equipment it is. So everyone across the state, um, if you're on a on a two four, um, you know exactly what that it'll be. You know whatever the name of the town is, their two four, their two four is exactly the same as the next town's two four, hmm. um, and uh, it makes a big difference from that perspective um but also when you bring it back down to the community level um there's um uh there's still the same sense of like the, the brotherhood that, that we talk about all the time um that's all that's all still there but um you kind of all everyone uh like all the trucks are the same color all the all the firefighting gear is the same um everyone's under the the same kind of logo and heading rather than having this town's fire department and that town's fire department you, they'll still have them as the kind of their identifier uh but they all fall under state uh a state level administration um so when when these when these big events happen uh moving resources uh from places that need them to places that not that nobody nobody doesn't need their fire department, but moving resources to the places that need them in that in that instance uh, can be uh, a big plus compared to what I've seen happening happening happen here uh, in Canada. Uh, and the same with the career to fire departments; they're actually administered on the same uh, state or, or state or provincial level. So uh, to bring it to where I am in Alberta. Um, we you wouldn't have a Calgary Fire Department and an Edmonton Fire Department. You'd have an Alberta Fire Rescue Service that would have firefighters spread across 
Calgary and Edmonton and the other big cities that, that require full-time coverage, um, it had all come from the Alberta Alberta Fire Rescue would uh, look after all of that, those fire departments and the same with volunteer fire departments. You wouldn't, um, you wouldn't have county county fire departments. You wouldn't, um, you'd have Alberta Rural Fire Service or something like that. Uh, and that's the way. That's the way. Like that's who Marshall's Marshall is with the the rural fire service where he lives, um, and he obviously works out of a, a fairly small uh, rural 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 hall um, for his. But they would come right up to the edge of the the career fire departments, and in some cases in Australia, they actually all basically overlap depending on the the size of the area. So, with regards to Australia, then. As far as like uh, operational guidelines or procedures, are they all the same through the whole area? Is yeah, it easier across yeah, that's, jurisdictions. That comes down. That comes down from from a provincial level. So everyone's working on the same page, and that's kind of what I was saying about where my where my experience with my dad came in was that they have a state training facility, so everybody okay. gets the exact same basic training um, at the straight state training facility. Uh, so when you when you get enough enough uh, rookies signing on in a um, they call them regions, but you get enough rookies in a region to make a class. Like I said, that's you know would be the equivalent of three or four counties. Um, so it happens a lot more often. Then they all get sent to, depending on exactly what they need, they'll get sent for weekends at the the state training facility, and that's basically uh, that. You guys, <laughs> in the bar boys are wetting their pants. You'd wet your pants if you saw this facility. They've got it's a it's a disused industrial facility that's just huge, huge big sheds that they've basically built entire entire houses inside building inside these big sheds. They don't have a roof on them though, so it's just the walls, and they have catwalks around the top for the officers, and then they just fill it with theatrical smoke. And like officers can look in over the top of what the guys down on the floor are doing, and there's you know beds and fridges and whatever, full kitchens, bedrooms, windows, curtains, and they'll do their breathing apparatus training through these uh, through these buildings with the officers watching from on top. Um, and there's a couple of different layouts of houses inside another building, so it doesn't matter if it's raining or whatever, you still get your training done. Uh, they have, you know, there's a couple of big, uh, I think there's four story high towers there that you can do all your your uh, rope training and rappelling and all of that kind of stuff um, out of there um, yeah or basically they, they had a massive huge concrete pad port when they built the place uh, they do all their live fire out there it's all run by propane um, but um, they got trees and rail cars and tankers on their side and all of that all just permanently set up to, to train the new guys it sounds like a sounds like a hell of a weekend. Oh, <laughs> it's a playground. Yeah, it's all on-site, all on-site accommodation, um, dining room. They bring in a there's a basically a cook that comes in and cooks for them while they're there. They stay there. They, I think they do about three or four weekends there for basic, and then you go back and do refreshes and advanced SCBA. You know, throughout your throughout your time with your department. That sounds nice. awesome. Yeah. It's good that everything's uh, standardized almost because obviously here we all have our own individual ways. There's there's like the way yeah. to do things, but everyone has yeah. their own take on it and every department has their mm-hmm. own thing and Absolutely. they can change it, right? Like yeah. the training officers yeah. get the choice. Yeah. Just look at the way and, of how and, your department has gas fires and we don't. Like it's, if, we, if we cross borders to come assist you, you know, we've got our way for our first two in trucks and second trucks, you know, and you have your way, even though 
at the root of it, we're still doing the proper procedures, but we've all got our different styles of how we're getting to that point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's probably one of the downsides, like kind of the way I've talked about it. It's all it's all pluses, and it's not because uh, um, the you know downside to every system, and that you can't really customize stuff for your locality uh, based on what you are responding to. If you're doing a ton of crash rescue, but you guys are spending you know hours and hours learning how to fight structure fires. Uh, it's not it's not that beneficial for them if they if that's not what they're going to be doing. But uh, and and vice versa if they're spending heaps of time learning how to do vehicle extrication, um, but you're mostly facing structure fires because you don't have a you know a big highway through your town or whatever. Um, then it's you know also also kind of not relevant. And you know the benefit is one of the benefits is because everybody has the same equipment. Um, then the training for that equipment is all the same. So you don't have to worry that you need to learn how to run the old pump from, you know, 1995 that's got a, a leaky valve and you can't use this discharge on it because it'll it'll make the engine cut out. Um, everyone's, everyone's equipment's the same. You don't have to learn how to run three different trucks um, mm-hmm. in, a, in one department. And then, you know, if you're doing a mutual aid, their trucks are totally different. You know, I um, like that idea. We we've talked about like with us, <laughs> with uh, Todd's department, and then other ones around us. We were just throwing around the idea of that regional writ, and you know, when you're responding to other uh, mutual aid calls. So with all of the similar or all of the same equipment, um, all the same training. On a mutual aid call, I can see that being very beneficial. You know, everybody knows where everything is on each truck because they should probably be mirrored the same. Uh, everybody knows what the equipment's like because it's all the same. So, yeah, I mean, there's the downfall of you kind of lose your individuality. Like, like we pride ourselves in doing things a certain way, which in Todd's Hall is not done exactly the same way. They do it their way, and they're proud of the way that they, mm-hmm. that they do it, but that way it's you know every truck's the same every training is the same there are like you say i I can see major upsides i can see some drawbacks but Mm -hmm. i think the big thing is though like for back to us though for our mutual aid Mm -hmm. um, issues that we have you know specifically like staging tarps you can talk about mci stuff trauma stuff highway stuff and the structure fire you know if you guys come back us up or we come back you guys up we know what color the tarp on the ground means. That's, mm. you know, a tool tarp. That's a writ tarp. That's what's expected to be on it. Yep. So if there's an incident, we know exactly what tarp to run to and you're ready to rock, right? That's right. Yeah. So that, that's pretty big. Yeah. Mm. It's a good starting point anyways. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think <laughs> probably we're where I am or me, maybe we're a little bit where, uh, like I was saying earlier, the other, the, our neighboring departments are fairly small. We're the, we're the big department. So they kind of, they look to us and they do, <laughs> it seems like to me that they kind of do whatever we're doing is what they do. So, uh, we, we kind of, <laughs> you know, you, you do what we're doing or you, you don't, you don't do it. Uh, <laughs> which is probably not the right mentality to have, but it's just something that's growing up over the years, being the bigger town, the bigger town and the bigger department. Um, and probably I would say with the more, with the more experienced crew as well. Um, when they come, you know, I, I think uh, the one department, the last the last big mutual aid we were on, 
they've got one of our old pumps at that department now and they hardly ever have structure fires and they came, they brought their pump up to a big one that we had and our guys just jumped right back on that truck and started running it again they're like we we haven't run water through this thing for like a year <laughs> nobody remembered how to do it so they just we our guys just jumped right back on that truck and just ran it like it was like it was when it was at our, at our department and they were they were standing there taking notes like oh we we didn't know that's the way you did you guys did that oh that makes more sense based on where that outlet is and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff perfect it's good to get that uh it's good to get that cross experience and cross training there's yeah, always something you can really pick important. up right like that that little piece from other departments which you can take even if you don't use it fully it's just that oh yeah that's a that's a good way of doing that or mm-hmm. oh i like the i like that little twist that you put on there for that you know it makes things easier and then you take it and do what you want with it and make it a little bit more yeah. unique for what fits that's good it's yeah. good do you guys do mutual aid with any career departments where you are full-time guys no we do not know everything around yeah. us for at least a town either side of us is all volunteer yeah Fair that's what i figured oh except yeah, for we, you know. yeah we do and that's a very that's a different experience yeah i think when, our, you're, when you're working with those guys ours is going to start changing with todd's department here soon they're going right. to go all straight and narrow and we're just going to stay <laughs> we're going to stay rogue <laughs> We just we have our first full time member there, our full time chief this year. And, oh, wow. uh, okay. Yeah, I think what's going to happen is we're probably going to end up having another full time deputy, two two deputies, and yeah, that's right. going to do a lot of different uh, roles in the community as well, fire inspection, education, you name it. So we'll see right. where see where all that starts taking us in the future. Mm-hmm. You're you're on a slippery slope there, from what I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> is you need to have 
uh, at least, I think it was a thousand or twelve hundred gallons of water set aside for firefighting during the summer months. Mm-hmm. Like, so you basically, you have to have a tank on your property that a a, uh, a fire truck can fill up from when they're there. Um, so he has he actually has two big ones up on top of a hill um, above his house that he keeps full, um, and they run down to two hydrants on either side of his house with Stortz connections on them for them to hook up to. Um, should they need to come to his house, either to defend his house or just know it's there. Uh, he's got a fairly long winding driveway, so at the big front of his driveway, which I think is also part of the requirement, is a basically a, a sign with a map on it as to where the tanks are, where the fire trucks can hook up, where they can turn around, what what kind of what little tracks you can get a fire truck on, which ones you can't get a fire truck on. Making a little map of his property right by his gate where it meets the road. Wow. Um, he's got a like a booster line reel at either end of his house as well. <laughs> they were there when he moved in. He has no intention of staying to fight his house. So <laughs> sure. If they want to come defend it, they can. He's going, he's going to my mum's place in the city. He's not staying. But yeah, his place is basically all set up. Um, he's got a swimming pool as well. You can pull a truck right up beside it, uh, right up beside his swimming pool and draft out of it if they needed to. Um, he's got access to both, kind of both, both sides of his house. Um, and that's, that's, He's probably a little bit more prepared than the average, but certainly the sprinklers on the roof um, connected to a, a petrol-powered pump, and a gas-powered pump, and uh, a 1,000-gallon tank is uh, almost the, the standard for rural rural areas um, for, re- for residents to kind of take stuff on themselves. I wish we had more of that here. There's a few homes that I know of um, through... Uh, through my real estate stuff that I've been and visited and seen in the in the hills, some in the rural areas here that do have those, but there's mm-hmm. very few, very very few. Um, they're surrounded by woodland areas, but do not have that yeah. in place. And that was uh, that was really surprising because in Australia, uh, most almost all of Australia, the vast majority of houses are brick, so with terracotta tile roofs. So they're not they're not you know tinder boxes. It's pretty hard to get them going. Yeah. And yet we still require they still require that that level of protection. When I look at all the big log homes and stuff, uh, certainly more out where you guys are, and a little bit around here, you know, we've got a home that's basically wood on the inside, wood on the outside, and wood on the roof. Um, you're kind of asking asking for trouble if you don't have something set up. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. So the. Um, <coughs> The, and it's the same in England too. Like everything's made out of brick and concrete, and like it, it's it's tough to catch the outside of one of those buildings on fire. It is it's a yep. challenge. Yeah. You know, it takes some time to like get you to be able to really do that <laughs> and get her going. <laughs> yeah, the, the the vast majority. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say maybe not the vast majority. Um, a lot of the houses that burn in Australia. Um, I'd say a good chunk. Uh, somehow a window gets broken, um, and that one, you know, once you get a spark in through a window, it's it's kind of all done. Especially if there's nobody there. Um, and um, the second one, and this is one that the the fire service is really hot on as a fire prevention, is keeping leaves out of your eaves troughs because um, it's so hot and dry there. Once they sit there for a little while, then they just turn into tinder sitting in there, and because it's terracotta roof. Uh, you know, an ember lands there and it rolls down into the eaves trough. And once, and that's right 
up against that little protected area between the top unprotected area between the top of your top of your eaves troughs and the bottom of your roofing material there right up under there and once they get in there then you then you're done so um like my brother if he has to leave he'll um put plugs in the top of his downspout so his the sprinklers all over Few, first few minutes of running will fill the eaves troughs with water so any embers that are all do make it through are just going to roll down into the water mm, in his eaves troughs yeah for sure smart forward thinking <sighs> um, yeah yeah well. that's um the they are they are, they are definitely uh I think tougher to get going even to like his place actually has metal roller shutters which he puts down over his windows when he leaves and that's good mm-hmm. even for you know the summer sun there coming right in your windows in the afternoon you can put down these metal shutters and block a lot of the heat out but they're basically there for fire protection he's ready for so the zombie apocalypse the window, the window won't get smashed yeah you've got metal <laughs> shutters over it that's crazy <laughs> it does get a little bit of apocalypse apocalypsey when he puts them down well, it, <laughs> the from the videos and, out of the, yeah, out of Terminator like, or Mad Max or something. <laughs> <laughs> you Aussies in your Mad Max yeah. <laughs> we took it we took it to heart <laughs> yeah, man. Don't blame me. So, question with you, because uh, you said you were with your current department for eighteen months now, is that right? Yes. Yeah. So, would you have any quick tips for anybody who's listening who might be thinking about uh, wanting to be a volunteer of uh, how to get started or what they? Well, bearing in mind what I said, what I said earlier about coming in, you have to have it in you. But if you're not sure, um, and you think it could be something, just drop by, just do it. Drop by your hall, have a chat with the guys. They'll, they'll be, I'll guarantee, they'll be more than happy to, to show you around, show you the trucks, introduce you to the chief. You know, you know, you know when training is. You know, if there's guys there at seven thirty on the same night every night, that's when they're training. You see the trucks rolling out, um, or yeah, look it up on your, your town's website. Um, probably have the fire chief will probably have his cell phone number on there for most most small departments. Give them a call, have a chat. Um, if you're lucky, I, one of the reasons I've only been on 18 months is um, there's basically been a waiting list for my department. I, you know, every time I've kind of nice. uh, had some free time, or, or like not, not so much free time, but like a change in work or a change in, in status, uh, for me, I've kind of contacted them and then kind of said, hey, I'm kind of available now and we'll make something work. And they've been like, oh, come fill out a form and we'll give you a call if we've got a vacancy. And it's kind of come and gone like that and then I happen to when I took the job in the municipality, that was kind of a bit more of a motivation and they were ready to hire and I was there all the time. So, um, I did, I did dropped in and basically, yeah, dropped in one Thursday and I've been there every Thursday ever since. Beauty. Nice Thursdays, man. is the day. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's actually a wildly inconvenient day for me, but, uh, with everything else that goes on, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. If you're thinking about it, just do it. I, I don't think you'll regret it. Mm. I don't think you'll regret it. Nice. At least, if, even if you don't stay, at least you know what's going on. You meet some of the guys that are in your community every day. You'll probably see somebody that you know if you've lived in there for any amount of time, someone you didn't even know was a firefighter. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't mm-hmm. agree Yeah. So, maybe one last thing here. Um, <clears throat> we kind of talked about how everybody brings something themselves whether it's their background or um you know everybody's kind of got their individual skill sets and assets your area is there anything that's kind of unique 
um, training wise or um, maybe in geography that is unique to your area that you guys have to train or that you have to be mindful of um, that other areas might not uh, breaking it and mindful the, well the mindful has to come back <laughs> in once in a while uh, yeah the, the, you know you gotta be aware of um, that other departments might not be thinking about um what have we got we get um because of the the rail line I mentioned earlier we have um, trains starting fires but I don't think that's totally unique to us but they mm -hmm. can be in uh, we're, we're relatively flat with a lot of farmland but we have a lot, bit of kind of like rolling hills that get a lot of beaver dams and stuff like that in them um, mm -hmm. it can make challenging terrain for um, brush firefighting and right. I think like most most departments in western Canada at least we've got kind of big big pickup trucks um, with firefighting capabilities on them with big tires and winches and stuff for doing that but we even even they get in trouble in our area quite a lot um, just with soft ground basically from dams and creeks and swamps and that kind of stuff um, so our department actually has two um, ATVs with uh, aluminum trailers behind them with I think they're 200 gallon tanks and little high pressure Honda pumps on them and we can drag those almost anywhere. And when I first started, I was like, man, 200 gallons, how far is that going to go on a brush wire? Uh, but mix a little bit of foam in with it and uh, get right back in there. And we don't have the, the uh, fuel load here. Uh, a lot of it's kind of Aspen Parkland uh, here. So uh, Aspen and Poplar, they don't burn like spruce trees and pine trees. And in Australia, the eucalyptus trees, they don't burn like that. We don't get big canopy fires out of them. Um, they really just burn the deadfall on the ground and the grass around the bottom of them. So it can move pretty quick, um, but it doesn't have a lot of intensity to it, uh, especially if the wind gets it. It's basically kind of an overgrown grass fire, uh, but it gets in amongst these trees, so you can't get a truck anywhere near it. So these ATVs um, with, with two forestry lines running off the back of them uh, can make a huge difference to knocking, knocking that down and just getting the water, you know, getting the, the wet stuff on the red stuff. Um, with a couple of guys with backpacks and we can make a, make a huge difference on a, on a grass fire in a really inaccessible place. Um, and then come winter, we put the, put the trailers away and the firefighting, the firefighting equipment off them. And we've got big sleds, um, that we put on them, uh, for the winter, um, for, um, going to picking up snowmobilers that have come off on the snowmobile trails around the place. Hmm. Um, cause uh, unless the, and there's no other even the career fire departments close by don't have um, capabilities to get in on the snowmobile trails um, so we we've been called for mutual aid on that numerous times um, to bring the ATVs with the big sleds behind them nice um, to go pick that up but uh, the ATVs are useful just um, all the time like uh, they're they weren't they were purchased by the um, society uh, we have a not-for-profit society attached to the fire department I think like a lot of fire departments do. And uh, we kind of bought them to, to fill a hole. And uh, nobody really realized how big the hole was until we had them. Right. Yeah. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, I think we're one of the few places around that still burns actual houses down <laughs> for training. 
I've talked to a few people about that, but it seems like that's going uh, going the way of the dodo, and I, I understand why. But um, <laughs> as far as training goes, uh, it's, the sea cans are nice uh, for repeatability, but nothing nothing's like burning an actual house down, especially if you can do some you know smoke it out. And, and do some actual searches in an actual house with actual holes in the floor and actual basements and actual dishwashers and actual ovens in them and stuff like that. Going up and down, you know, le- even learning how to negotiate stairs in BA fully blacked out and, you know, narrow old farmhouse stairs, not like nice new house stairs and um, attic spaces and stuff like that. Um, stuff that's you know i think i mentioned that we're, we're setting up a can training facility as well but there's only so much you can do with a big steel box <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's true we're like uh, as i'm sure you're aware we're just in the process now of putting together four 20 foot ones 20 foot yeah four 20 foot so on top of each other stacked uh so we're gonna have two and two for a search building with ground level yeah, entry? Like level entry, walkout basement kind of yeah, setup. Yeah. So, yeah, right. um, yeah, should be kind of. There's a lot of that kind of build around here. It'll be a really good add-on to what we already have. Uh, but again, I mean, it's a metal box, uh, so it's great for safety. It's great. I mean, you can simulate a lot of things, but uh, uh, and it's going to open up a lot, a lot more training for us. But you just can't recreate. The structure burning around you. No, mm-hmm. Nothing ever. Training, right? No, it never. Nothing in a car structure is pretty fun. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, that's that. I mean, we're, we're so lucky to have what, what we have, and we're 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 very. Um, our stress inoculation is is crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, it doesn't even phase us anymore, and that's good and bad, right? So, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> yeah. it's um, a fair factor still to not. Not yeah. being afraid of that portion, I think. You know, I, I so. wouldn't say not afraid, though. I think it's just no. I think not there's as... definitely still some, some, some fear, like a healthy fear of hey, this could happen. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, shit's on fire everywhere, and we're we're pretty cool, cool headed. Walk, you know, walking in. It's, that's that stress inoculation factor that uh, we definitely preach. Get getting in there, uh, burning over and over again. Um, mm-hmm getting comfortable with with your gear um there's nothing like it so yep. do you guys do any training for your your new recruits on wild like on wildland like any kind of practical wildland stuff every year so that's kind of yeah um off air i'm actually going to talk to these guys about a scenario that i just put together today <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i'm hoping we can get that happening in a little later in the new year um and that will uh research everybody and then we can sign off on the rookies so every rookie needs to go through uh training and then every department needs to kind of research every every season so we'll do like rookies are going to go through uh, i want to say it's three three nights we can get it done uh there's some some written uh, some uh hands-on and then we have to wrap up where we get everybody involved and it's more of a scenario base where you go out and you you, you do all of the hand the hands-on stuff so uh, right. it's an annual research for for us uh and then every, every rookie has has to go through and get the the more extensive course but luckily for us again it's all done in-house because uh, a couple of our training guys myself not including um have uh, the the uh, training cert for wildland 
Oh, okay. Yeah, that was one of the big ones for me. We did, you know, uh, kind of our. It was hands on, but it was a lot of learning how to run the, learning how to run the pumps on the brush trucks and, mm-hmm. and pulling the hose out and what nozzles to use for what. And then the first fire actually came, and I felt like we we're fairly prepared. But what 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 I didn't realize was, and on that fire particularly, how far out we were going to be spread. It was kind of it was in the middle of the day, so there wasn't a lot of people there, and we basically had every line on every truck pulled all the way out with every extension added onto it and you know running running a hose and carrying an axe or a a shovel or whatever um getting on the radio for just basic comms was was tedious in and of itself and you're sweating because it's the middle of summer and you're standing in the middle of a fire um well yeah the the communications uh, of what was going on and you know whether the the tanker had gone for for a refill um and uh, where it was going to be when it came back to get filled back up again and all that kind of stuff was something that I was like, oh, this, this didn't, we didn't talk about this in training. And uh, it was a, a bit of a steep, steep learning curve on how the, how the actual on the ground uh, fighting of, of uh, wildland fires and there's particularly like a fast moving grass fire when everyone, you know, you've got two fronts that can be quite a distance apart getting blown by the wind and you're trying to communicate with each other and dragging hoses and uh following trucks and in and out of trucks and going back to get your your tank refilled and all of that kind of stuff <clears throat> you know you're standing on the end of a hose line and then all of a sudden it starts driving away because the trucks actually run out of water and you didn't realize <laughs> <laughs> just line gets pulled out of your hand because you couldn't hear the radio over the sound of the water coming out the end of the nozzle and yeah, all that kind of stuff. So yes, yeah, it's, it's good that uh, good that you guys get some get some uh, real hands on with the new guys. We kind of we did kind of hands on uh, at the kind of at the fairground of, of how it would work. But once it was mm-hmm. actually a, a running grass fire that was covering several hectares already across a, a stubble field, it kind of everything changed. <clears throat> it seems, uh, and we've discussed it as well, talking about wildfires themselves they're way more dangerous than structure fires in the sense that a structure fire, you know, is a box on fire. And if you leave the box alone, it's just going to burn and go away and go out and you're done. Right. Whereas a wildfire, a sudden wind change, and all of a sudden you're in the middle of the smoke in the thick and the flames are now coming back towards you. Like there's, there's a lot more dynamics out there. There's like here, we've got poison ivy. You do not want to be breathing in poison (laughs) ivy as that stuff burns. Absolutely. not fun yeah. um, you know and then you've obviously got all of the actual just general terrain that you have to deal with it's not just okay you're going to force entry mm-hmm. on a house and the, the, you know that it's a concrete floor so you're not going to fall through but then you're not having to deal with rocks like you are in, in out there and the heat and the extra weather yeah it's a it's a very different dynamic when you're doing the wildfire stuff in comparison to structures yeah absolutely and that, you know when we do the training on the structure fires we do kind of you know, the same as what you guys were doing with the set it on fire, put it out, set it on fire, put it out. And then eventually we'll pick a, a day when we can get kind of all the resources there um, and we'll burn the whole thing to the ground because that's normally what the what the farmer wants. Uh, it's eventually he wants to get rid of it all together. That's why we did it in the first place. Um, but, yeah, it's basically make sure make sure the wind's going in the right direction and uh, on a, you know, a Sunday morning um, we'll just basically – let it burn to the ground uh and it's not going anywhere you know even if even if we've only kind of made minor damage to it 
um, if you just let it burn, it'll, it'll eventually, it'll go out. Um, whereas, yeah, a lot of these wildfires, well, I mean, they do, they do too, but you know, you're not talking hours, you're talking months or weeks at a minimum and who knows where it's going to end up. It's not going to burn in the same spot. (coughs) Sam. Mate, it's been an absolute privilege having you on tonight. There's mm-hmm. a lot that I've, uh, I've picked up from you, for sure. Especially about the Australia stuff. That's really interesting the way they do it. It's almost like I can see both sides, like the way that yeah, we've got sure. things. But mm-hmm. like I almost... Mm-hmm. You could definitely see the benefits of everyone just having the same equipment, for sure. Right. Like, alone. Yeah. You see that alone just in, in my job, right, with our provincial service. You know, I can jump on any truck through the province, and it's, it's pretty much the same, and we've... We all have the same policies and procedures and medical protocols. And, you know, looking at the flip side for the fire service, makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But, uh, again, it's, you know, we're so far, far, far off from that side of, uh, side of things. Mm-hmm. I think it's more important to what we were talking about before is for us small rural departments that are close together, you know, just get those conversations going uh, amongst ourselves and try yeah. and do some co-ed training and uh, mutual training and, some common commonalities with those like so start with small stuff small yep. tarps then maybe trucks but people like yep. their yep. trucks <laughs> don't touch yeah, my yeah. truck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Defensive about yeah that was a big one combining a pump and a rescue into one truck was where's everything going to go and where right. is it now uh, basically you know one side's one side's pump one side's rescue that's mm-hmm. basically what it broke down to mm-hmm. um, but yeah and the same as like with volunteer like uh, same as it doesn't really matter even if you're uh, uh, whether it's administered at a state level or a municipal level uh, as funding comes and goes and governments change and um, uh, equipment changes even though everyone's supposed to have the same stuff you know some haven't been updated yet so they've got the stuff that was from you know one one protocol ago and then there's still you know really far rural departments that have still got stuff that's you know from the 90s it was standardized then but they've still got it because they never got updated when everybody else did because mm-hmm. changing an entire fleet of you know hundreds of fire trucks it's not in nobody's budget so they all get changed progressively and mm-hmm. some happen faster than others so you know it, it, it kind of looks good on paper that everyone has the same truck but they don't right yeah <clears throat> Well, Sam, it's been a pleasure, mate. Have, uh, have you yep. got anything else to, to add there, buddy? Anything you want to bring up? Anything you want to say? No, I don't think so. If you're thinking about joining a local department, just, yeah, swing by, talk to the boys and girls. Um, don't let, and, you know, you you watch, you know, uh, Chicago Fire or 911 <laughs> news shows. You don't have to look like that to be a firefighter. Go down your local hall, you'll see. Like, <laughs> No we truer were, we words were, said. Yes. I don't know what you're uh, talking about. Friend, I look like Mouch. You look like Mouch? Yeah. Is that from a show? He knows. <laughs> he knows. Yeah. He knows. He knows. He's <laughs> Chicago Fire. It's like the old grizzled guy. He's like, not skinny by any means. He's awesome. Old oh, Mouch. I'm a Mouch. Well, looks like you've got a new nickname there, Yeah, that's yeah. well, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, we appreciate you coming on, mate, and we appreciate you listening. And thank you so much for your support. We know that you've uh, you've been listening since the beginning and uh, reaching out and 
giving us updates and uh, interacting with us. We really appreciate that. That's kind of one of the bigger portions of what we get out of this is talking to other people oh. about what they're doing. And uh, it's it's helping us. It's helping the department. It's helping change certain things that we do. Um, and yeah, we, we always appreciate everybody um, that, that listens in. So thank you, Sam. And thank you for agreeing to come on and, uh, and answer our questions. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Carl. Anytime. Nice for me. Stay safe. You too, mate. Take care. Thanks, Sam. Bye. Bye. And there we have it. That was Sam. Um, yeah, really appreciate it. Sam coming on. Uh, I learned some good stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of really interesting stuff there. Um, it was cool that he had that, like that first-hand experience again over to uh, what's happening over in Australia there, um, the fires, and more so like the, the personal fire protection. Um, it's a bit of an eye-opener for sure. Um, that was very cool. Something that I wish we had a little bit better of here. Like if, if you live in the interface area here, like I, I know your, your insurance is crazy, but I mean they don't force you to do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't have to have personal fire fire protection. Um, what they have over there with their Mad Mad Max houses is <laughs> pretty crazy. But uh, yeah, I mean, a, a little bit of that would go a long way, you know. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was really really cool. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Like, I know I've always thought if I lived on the outskirts somewhere, uh, I'd be doing that. I'd be mm-hmm. if I didn't have a pool, I would try and acquire some sort of big uh, big tank, mm-hmm. have water, have a pump, already have a sprinkler system on my house. Yep. And then you work into the fire safe stuff with the uh, uh, with your trees and always controlling the duff layers and everything else and pruning yep. things back. But uh, having that mandatory out there, that's very cool. That's very neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super important. I mean, yeah. you know, I don't know how many would have survived if they had followed the same. How many homes would have survived? Um, you know, that burn if those things were. Okay, boys, we have been going on for a while. Um, so yeah, let's yeah. wrap her up. So, uh, Ash, Motors. <coughs> Actually, I'll take Motors. Sure. You take Motors. You take Motors. <laughs> Motors. No, actually, you take Motors because you did that. Yeah, okay. Um, so, Motors, we, yeah. Um, <coughs> we've been dealing with these guys for uh, the better part of a year now. Um, they are based out of Eastern Canada. Um, their kind of claim to fame, if you will, is the snagger tool. Uh, really good for uh, hose line management. Um, can be used for self-rescue. Can be used for uh, breaking glass. I mean, there's so many uses for it. But the big thing is the uh, hose line management. Um, I'd say that's that's what comes uh, most natural to us with it. Um, they've branched into uh, fourth century wedges. They've got their uh, mini spanners which came out we are allowed to talk about them yeah. um yeah they have a uh, another tool that is almost live uh we have one here i'll show you guys when we go downstairs uh i can't show you guys that yet but uh, um really really cool uh it's going to be a truck tool not a personal tool so uh pretty cool things happen there follow them um if you want to take advantage of a discount they have offered us uh, to offer to you guys, uh, it is DTFF5. It's going to get you 5% off of your purchase, uh, which generally covers uh, some free engraving. So they'll put on um, 
you know, Timeless Todd or GTFF for us or whatever you want to have on there. Hashtag get Scott a snagger, <laughs> um, which they forgot to send. Uh, that so is hilarious. Yeah, no, for sure. Scott was happy. I won't repeat the hashtag he wants to start. But, um, yeah, check check those guys out. Uh, they've been really supportive of us. Uh, they're going to keep sending us basically every tool that they make. They're going to send us now, um, and we're going to get the demo. So, uh, really appreciate that support from them. Uh, and we tell you guys everything that we know about it. So, uh, Modus, check them out. RZ masks. Um, we have the M1s. Everyone in our department has them. We ordered around 40 of them. We have the carbon filter filters, mm-hmm. which are the F3s. F3s. And uh, yeah, they are solid masks. Great for uh, great for bushfires. Mm-hmm. Um, great for that kind of action. Uh, good on medical calls. Again, um, protect your face. The ones we have are neoprene, so they're fantastic in the winter. I was actually using mine on the last stretcher fire, and I did yep. not feel the cold at all. Mm-hmm. My face stayed nice and warm. Um, yeah, it was. It's a great, great mask. So grab yourself one, and if you are looking at grabbing yourself one, if you use the code uh, DTFF, it will get you thirty percent off of your uh, of your full order. So if you're mm-hmm. looking to order in a bunch, you can save a ton of money. So yeah, use it for your uh, department orders and. Yeah, grab yourself one. They're worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big hit. Yeah, really good. Uh, we'll roll into uh, Bar Boys Brotherhood Academy Radio Podcast. Um, picture us on the East Coast, US. Um, <laughs> yeah, really good group of guys. Uh, they're uh, a pretty aggressive department. Um, they get out there, they get after it. Um, salty dogs. Salty <laughs> buggers, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you saw the messenger. Oh man, <laughs> the chat group. Yeah, just, we, just gets dark. We get gets well <laughs> a little darker when talk posts. <laughs> oh man, a little inside humor there, but uh, uh, sends shivers down my spine. That's just thinking fault. about. Oh, it is. Let me tell you. Um, but they also have a podcast. Uh, they, uh, <laughs> they do. Uh, they release every Sunday, uh, except for today. Um, they do every Wednesday. They have their box alarms. That's a little quick uh, tip, tricks, and, and leadership-minded uh, episodes there. But, uh, yeah, they're uh, just kind of coming off the uh, Christmas craziness and holidays and such. So it sounds like they're getting back back on track as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're into us and if you made it this far, you probably had to head over to them. If you haven't, you make sure you do check them out. They're, uh, they're really supportive of what we do here. We're really supportive of them. So yeah, Brotherhood Academy radio podcast. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, they're out there and they're fighting for right, a dying breed. Yeah. <laughs> stop, the, stop the bleed. Uh, bleedingcontrol.org. Um, You've heard uh, Scott and all of us here talk a lot about Stop the Bleed. Um, Very simple, simple training. Uh, It will save your life. Uh, It's free. If you haven't heard about it, check it out uh, at thebleedingpatrol.org, and you can go online and see if there's classes being held in your area. Um, And if you are in the medical field or um, a law enforcement or a peace officer, you can become a certified instructor as well and train it. Uh, very beneficial for your departments and for small communities. Uh, again, the goal with that is to have uh, stop the bleed kits, so tourniquets, wound packing, gauze, and the knowledge behind it. Uh, have those kits hanging in uh, 
every public place where there's a public access defibrillator. Uh, we want them on the wall, we want them in schools, community centers, mm -hmm. and just general knowledge. Uh, we've all talked about it before. Ashley mentioned it the other day as well. You know, I've changed what I carry when I go out in the bush hunting, um, quadding, anything like mm -hmm. that before. I never really thought twice about it. Um, but now I always have uh, have some stuff on me or in my yeah. kit where to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, important uh, stuff. Very important Absolutely. stuff. And then we have Matt, Matt's calls, uh, mm -hmm. secondalarm.org. Secondalarm.org is a calls by our friend Matt, who uh, the calls basically is looking to get more firefighters or more volunteers into uh, into our halls and, uh, and fill those seats on those trucks. Uh, for the majority of, of halls, it's a big challenge to get people. It's a harder challenge to keep them. But, um, you know, that, that comes down with different things. But getting them in the door is, is a really challenging uh, concept for, for some mm. places and some areas. So Matt's Calls is there to help um, really showcase what it is that volunteer firefighters do. And, uh, yeah, all of the good, fun things that you get out of it. So pop over there, take a look, support the calls. Good, good calls. And then Seminar. Yeah, so May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, uh, our local department here, us, um, in all over British Columbia, we are the host department this year, and every second year, uh, we have the pleasure of hosting, uh, we'll say over four, 400, generally, and beyond, uh, firefighters from around our province, surrounding areas, into the Pacific Northwest, into Alberta and beyond. So uh, we opened up a uh, modified training ground <laughs> down at uh, our local community center. Uh, we invite all a whole bunch of vendors. So you're going to see um, fire truck manufacturers. You're going to see equipment, um, safety, rescue, uh, a whole bunch of stuff down down there. We're going to have over 20 hands-on uh, one way or the other, probably for, for the better part of 24 to 25 hands-on stations where you, you can go uh, learn a skill, maybe learn a different way of doing that skill. Um, we see a lot of people sending newer firefighters and a lot of places sending uh, seasoned. So guys that have been around for you know, they're, they're getting into that five to 10 plus where, um, they've been doing something the same way for a long time that they just want a bit of a refresher or a different way of looking at it. And one thing that we always say is this isn't the best way to do it. This isn't the only way to do it. This is just our, our way of doing it. And the nice thing about what we put on here is over half of the stations are manned by, um, us, our, our local guys here, our guys from, uh, the neighboring departments. So you're, you're, you're getting the real, I say like the, the real hands-on experience with real firefighters. Uh, there, there are other, uh, stations that are manned by, uh, companies that come in and do it for us as well, but, uh, it's a really good experience. So it's May 1st, 2nd, 3rd. Um, registration is open now. You can go on Facebook and it's all over fire department spring seminar. Uh, so hop on there. Um, uh, you have to request access. We grant it pretty much right away. Uh, it gives you a bit more information on it. Um, but if you are thinking about it, uh, spaces are, um, limited. So definitely hop on that as soon as possible. And, uh, we hope to see you guys here. And your applications are out there on the page now, aren't they? They are, yeah. So, 
Um, it's uh, super high tech. You download it, you fill it out with a pen or pencil, and <laughs> send that baby right on back with uh, your money. <laughs> who has pens and pencils? These yeah, days? well, I can tell you who has pencils. <coughs> oh. Russia. <laughs> that was awesome. Scott, Scott's thing. The U.S. with their millions of dollars invested into how they can get a pen to write up upside down. What do the Russians use? Pencils. <laughs> oh man, it was genius. I love it. Russia lost in the, uh, you know, Canada. Russia. Yeah, they day. did. Great game. Great game. Yeah, man. The best player on the ice. The old TSN center uh, center ice camera. Yeah. Bing. <laughs> uh, inside hockey. <laughs> Yeah, Canada. Canada. Mm-hmm. So that's seminar. Okay, gentlemen. Oh, any more for any more? Well, I should quickly touch on um, us. Give us a like. Oh, give yeah. us a, a rating. Um, <clears throat> give us a review. Or uh, I guess that's more of the rating. Um, if you do that, we're easier to find. So um, likes, shares, ratings on... Uh, um, your Facebooks, your Instagrams, your TikToks now. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> uh, I have lost days of my life days. to that app. Yeah. Um, do not open it at work. No, or do if you hate hate your work. But <laughs> if you want to be at all productive, you should stay TikTok. off of that. There goes the club. Yeah. No, man. But uh, yeah, it just makes it easier for people to find us. And um, that's what we, we really appreciate is getting us out there in front of other people. So uh, do that for sure. There you go. That's all I got. So, outstanding. Thanks again, uh, Sam, for uh, calling in. That was awesome. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, if uh, any of you out there are listening, you have something interesting to say, or just, um, you know you've been around for a while, and uh, just re- you know reach out to us. If you're new and you got some interesting insight, we would love to hear from you. Reach out, message. We uh, we're pretty darn responsive on our our uh, Facebook Messenger for sure. So. <clears throat> Uh, shoot us a message tell us your story and uh, we would love to have a chat yeah interviews are definitely something that we want to do more of mm-hmm. uh, we want to really start trying to share other people's messages as well and try and get a few little tactics out of other people too because again different departments do different things different ways mm-hmm. and uh, it's always nice to get that information and share it with everyone else it's basically what we're trying to do from the start of this so. absolutely yeah Ash thanks guys Todd thanks guys have a good night mm-hmm. Thanks again, everyone. Good night. Stay safe. Stay DTFF. <laughs>